0: Please enjoy over 150 episodes hosted by Pat Hazel with a stable of creative guests in our listening lounge at creativityandcaptivity.fun. This is Creativity and Captivity, I'm Pat Hazel. Today, I visit with an iconic illustrator of pinup art whose work appeared in Playboy for many years. Olivia is globally recognized for her paintings of women warriors, fashion and fantasy. She brings to life such powerful screen sirens as Betty Page, Morticia Adams, and Catwoman. Stick around for some delicious dialogue with Olivia, the High Priestess of Pinup. That spark of electricity, a skipping stone that sets you free, or captive to a mystery, the curse of creativity. La 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 la, la 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 la.
1: Hi. Great to meet you.
0: Nice to meet you too. What people can't see that I'm already blown away by because we're an audio-only podcast is that I'm peeking into your studio there and seeing some of your beautiful illustrations. One of my favorite thing about artists is their sketchbook. It's, it seems to be such an intimate part of their thinking and their process. So, I mean, you must have hundreds of sketchbooks over the years. Do you have like a an approach or a favorite or one that you tote with you everywhere?
1: No, but I have a lot of sketchbooks, but they're scribbles. So they would not be worth anything if someone tried to make money off of them. What I tell people who come up to me who are stuck or they haven't been able to start, they want to be an artist, they want to start sketching, but they never start. I tell them to get a little book to discipline themselves by doing a doodle about once a day, just a doodle. I just ask very little. And in that process, they will start creating. And it's also an exercise. So I have a lot of sketchbooks around, but they're scribbles. They're almost like shorthand for me. I don't I don't actually refer to them anymore, but I used to like when I had the flood of ideas come to me, then I jot them down in my shorthand, which will look like garbage. And when I would start going, drying up, you know, uh, mentally, then I'd go back and I'd look at this and then I'd work it.
0: I have a lot of sketchbooks as a writer, but yeah. I often would draw. I'm not a fantastic artist, but sometimes. I, saw I a drawing of yours. You saw a drawing of mine?
1: Yes, because <laughs> the half face with a pencil.
0: <laughs> oh, you did. Oh, that, 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 Here's where I need to give the audience some context. <laughs> and that's very, very funny. It was good. Well, <laughs> what's funny <It's> is <laughs> I, I was in high school art and I was failing art because I wasn't turning my projects in. And so, right. And the other thing was, I was so interested in theater that I went down to the stage and I would help paint scenery and oleo curtains and whatever, just big sort of theatrical things, but I was not in attendance in art class. So they were going to fail me. And that teacher said to me, you have to finish these four assignments before tomorrow. And I didn't know what to do. So I did, I had a half portrait of a face and rather than finish the portrait, I drew a pencil next to it and then wrote, called it uh, artist at work or artist on break or something. Um, And I fudged my way into like what they called a D, which was not failing, but you know, no future in the arts is I what.
1: Take umbrage with that teacher because that is a creative act. You thought of a creative ending to it. <laughs> and quite honestly, finishing the port- portrait would have been a technical feat, and doing the pencil was a creative <laughs> act.
0: Well, I call it the Tom Sawyer School of yes. art, right? Get somebody else to paint the fence for yeah. you. <laughs> And tell them a great story while they're doing it. But I do agree with you. And and to get back to the sketchbook for a moment, it is one of the greatest ways to get flow going. This is not big advice, but I had all kinds of sketchbooks in my day, but I was given fancy leather bound sketchbook. The more fancy it was, the more pressure I would think too much. Oh, I can't put it in this book. It's too nice. So I just get the low end, whatever it is. And I'm telling you, when I go back to mine, I don't, I don't remember writing or drawing some of that i go oh i must have really been in a flow at that time um and there were there's some fun fun stuff in there you're really an amazing artist and anybody that knows any of your work no it's exceptional on many levels but i'm more fascinated by the the why you became an artist in terms of how early you started and what was that tipping point where you realized you could communicate visually Because you have so much that goes on in terms, not just the sensuality of some of your work, and it's a real talent to be able to have that come off of a page and arrest you in some ways as a viewer.
1: I'm 70. I forgot. I was born in 48. I can't remember which time.
0: (laughs) We'll have our people do the math.
1: I can't do the math. And so I was always drawing. I'm an only child, unlike you. I had to, my parents, I lived in an adult world. And so my parents used to put me in a corner with a stack of paper and pencils. And I would entertain myself. And that's how I did it. There were no Barbies. So I drew a Barbie-like creature who I think was my mother. And because she would amuse me to no end. You know, we used to love watching Marlena Dietrich movies, Mar- Marilyn Monroe, and my mother. My parents were funny. My mother would do horrible imitations of Dietrich and Monroe, and they all kind of melted down to the same. Ah, oh, really, doll? I mean, you know, it was really <laughs> horrible, and they used to make me laugh so much. And she, you know, we love the campiness of those of those women and the sexiness and the. The confidence. I mean, it was a real fantasy. So we got lost in. So I always drew women. I'd like to say that I always always knew I'd be an artist. But, uh, you know, as I got into my teen years, I got lost. Mm. I got lost in the world of the 60s and, and that it was a very male world. And I think most women, most girls, you know, sexually curious, and and that was never good back then. So I didn't start my career until I was 25. I went to art school, but didn't show up for classes. I was totally messed up. And then I proceeded to decline by trying to do having many relationships that were destructive. And all of a sudden, twenty-five hit me. I, I was also a, an artist, a fine artist, briefly, but doing minimalist work.
0: Was that minimalist work done in black and white, or was it?
1: No, it was all white canvases. And actually, I got the show that most people would have died for. I, I got into a show that, that a museum show. And, and anyhow, you you couldn't get any. It was all
0: male. There's something generally sexy about the 50s 60s madmen era of cool you know like in terms of advertising but uh, but i don't i'm not a fan of the misogyny that was the
1: thing that was fascinating about mad men when i saw mad men you know i had already forgotten how bad it was in the 60s and then when i saw it there portrayed it's not an exaggeration That's exactly how it was. You could either become a stewardess or a secretary. You were virtually ignored. You were really supposed to become a mother and a good wife. My mother was a working woman. She was a Rosie the Riveter. So I was raised by that type of woman. So anyhow, I was going to the age 25. I had finally hit rock bottom and I went through this amazing One of those years that you've never felt more alive where I discovered my place in the planet. And that was about finding, training, training myself to work, literally sitting at a desk, gave up alcohol, I sat there and drew every day for an hour. And then it started off this compulsive career, which is still going on 45 years later, I just started working and fighting, and I also cut a lot of people out of my life. I got, it, I got really thunderstruck by work and how it put me on the planet.
0: I love that word. I think that word is really a powerful word, but you, at the same time, it seemed like you created a discipline and a system where you took control.
1: That's it. The only place I felt control was at the desk. And any time I left the desk, I'd fuck up, like unbelievable. So, I mean, crash and burn. I kept crashing in the same car. I knew that that's the place I had to be. It was rewarding, and I had to compete with myself. And, you know, I'm still doing it, and I'm hoping to make it to the very end.
0: Yeah, you'll, you'll do fine. I'm not at all worried about you, but it is interesting. You, It kind of fell under your breath there, but I really like the notion that you're competing with yourself. Because I've always run my own race against my best time or the best time on the clock. I never worried about who was next to me, right? I always, even in the world of stand up or television yeah. writing, I always thought, I just have to improve 10% this time, a little bit better next time, write a new draft that's gonna be a little bit more bulletproof, find something. It's about pride. But if you run looking back for people, everyone's gonna pass you over time because. You're, you're focused on the wrong thing. But, but right. when, you, when you sit down at that desk for an hour, you're not only expressing yourself, You're and this I really want to know how you feel, but I find doing is the action that makes things come alive. You don't give birth to a new project by walking into it with a finished idea. You have to be kind of in the flow of the river. You have to be working for it to sometimes reveal itself to you.
1: You and I are the same mind. You have to work. I had a teacher named uh, Chuck Close in in school, and he was just the very beginning of his illustrious career. And his famous quote is, inspiration is for amateurs and that you have to put the work in him. and, And Warhol, I wish I had my own quote at this. Warhol used to say the same thing. You just keep on working. And in the process of working, you find inspiration. And so, even though there are blocks, there are mental, all kinds of physical things that have gone on in my forty five year career, I keep working through it. Even if I have a whole year of not feeling it, you keep working. That's my mantra
0: i I think all artists struggle with times where you go into what I call personal winter. Right. It's not a productive time. But if you know there are seasons, right? If you know that you're there will be a spring, right? There will be, a moment or an aha, but it doesn't usually happen if you stay in bed.
1: I'm coming out of a long one myself in the last five years. It's not fun. And there's as if you have a long career, you get to see it go up and then go down. And then when it goes down, which mine did you, you have to look around What the fuck am I going to do now? You just have to struggle. I mean, I was working for free for a lot of different things because I was trying to figure out
0: a direction. Well, and we all, we often do. But I will say this, the non-movement, the idea of not stepping in one direction or the other is the biggest way to get stuck. Yeah. You know, because there's, there are a lot of directions that we can go. Here's the very center of it, though. You have a talent that is transferable, meaning in other mediums and so forth. I'm sure in all your times, and there were times you worked for magazines, probably for product design and other ways of illustrating. Am I right or no?
1: I worked for the men's magazines at the very doing explicit sexual uh, fantasies. And when I first started, after the uh, fine art work didn't work out, I needed to make a living and stop working. Stop waitressing.
0: So the erotic, the erotic drawing was suddenly a a direction that you could work all the time.
1: Yeah, and it led me down a very interesting path. I met Bob Guccione, I became friends with him, and Hugh Hefner. I wound up in Larry Flint's uh, uh, party in the basement uh, while he was giving away the magazine. But it was kind of fascinating, that world. And I didn't have to be a part of it sexually because I was drawing it, not doing
0: it. So So I'm certainly aware of your work, not knowing at the time I was aware of your work. But I've been around,
1: yeah.
0: There's a there's a thing we talk about in storytelling about uh, keeping people's interest, and it it has to. It's like equated to a miniskirt, which is keep it short enough to make it intriguing, but long enough to so you still want to see more. Like, I don't want it all given to me. I want my imagination to do some of the work.
1: That's where I came from, though. When I was first with, they they didn't want for the imagination to work. (laughs) They wanted explicit explicit work. So uh, as I'm going along in my career, I find that uh, it gets more and more covered up, in fact. And I find it just as erotic and just as a challenge. And I mean, Erotica can be in just the way a line is drawn and the confidence a painting has. And so that's what I challenge myself with all the time is trying to find that power
0: through the medium. I I snooped around your website and I saw Catwoman kissing Batman in a kind of just a way that you were like, whoo, I don't know who's in control here. It's
1: from the movie and she was over him. And no matter how you paint that scene, it is Incredibly sexy. That's Michael Keaton and Michelle Pfeiffer, and unbelievable heat between the two of them. So I evened them out, and he—he he still. She's the. I love dominant women. I love femme fatales. They're just too much fun.
0: Well, you do it well, and I guess I'm curious. Are you always using live models for your drawings, or kind of a mix and match?
1: At the very beginning, I couldn't afford models. So what I would do is I had all these sex magazines open and I would tear out an arm here and piece, piece you know, a genitalia <laughs> over here, take a man from over there, And I'd, I'd pile them all on top of each other. And that, and it would take me a month to do one painting and something like that. And I'd be paid like just barely the rent. So that's how I started. And then, um. And uh, then, that makes
0: me think about your drawing Frankenstein, essentially. You're- <laughs> yeah, I
1: know. It really was that and make it work. And then finally I said, you know, I need models and we started. And, and so I, the first time I shot a model, I was too embarrassed to take her, tell her to take off her clothes. I was like, well, this seems just so nasty to do that, and it felt really pervy looking through the little hole in the camera. And just, <laughs> so I, I said, Joel, I can't take this. You take the pictures, and he happily took over that.
0: And so, Joel was your Joel was your husband, or you weren't married yeah, yet?
1: My husband. I've been married for forty-one or forty long time.
0: <laughs> um, no, I, I guess one of the reasons I asked that is I I believe it was Springfield, Massachusetts, where. Uh, I went to Norman Rockwell's town mm-hmm. and what he painted and who he painted. And the people in those paintings, are were there. they're there. They <laughs> were his neighbors. You go to the museum and then you eat at the gazebo and you're like, I think these are the people in that painting. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is. Right? It's
1: true. It's true. Well, I have real women and I and some of them are incredible models and we shot them. Oh God, We'd shot them until they'd practically drop, but they practically dropped, but they—they give They did all kinds. I wouldn't pose them. I'd do the opposite. The Playboy did, and at the time, I, I, when I moved out to California, we were hanging out at the Playboy Mansion, and I know that what they used to do is they hold them, the model in one position. She stayed that
0: way for hours. She's just like frozen for photos or uh, illustrations oh,
1: yeah. or for the photos for the, the the centerfold. I would find something that was more real than having them pose. And some of them were more natural to it and they emoted facial. And then some of the others were, were so pretty. I don't think they really felt like they had too much. So the personality of some of my models was so strong that I've painted them over and over, over the years. And people know them, they, they know the models as well as they know me. My paintings.
0: The Betty Page relationship. Tell me about that.
1: Betty Page. I mean, it's back in seventy-seven. I knew the guy that 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 was putting out the first Betty Page book. And Betty Page, I didn't have any idea. He just gave me a stack of pictures. Said, "If you want to use somebody as a model, you could try her." And I used her. And then all of a sudden, through through the culture. She started coming up. She started showing up in the underground uh, music culture, T-shirts, uh, Madonna. Mm-hmm. The S&M thing started taking over, and she was the queen of that. She was the originator of She was the pinup girl that was in that, the, the Marilyn Monroe of it. Sure. And he, and you know, it's
0: like holding a riding crop or right. something that was indicating oh, dominance. She did a lot more than that. <laughs> I'm I'm looking at you. You don't know. No, well, no, I'm a repressed Catholic kid who, by the way, can tell you the couple of times uh, how much work I had to go to to get a Playboy magazine. Right. I like I would. I have those stories of, Okay, I think I can buy one without making a face, but I better buy two other things. To look like this is normal. Like I had a whole thing that went through my mind uh, some gum and whatever. Oh, and then one of those magazines. And then the guy at the store would not be there. And there would be like a 20 year old girl. And I'd go, never mind. Like I was too embarrassed to buy it from a girl. You know, it was ridiculous.
1: It is because you're a lot y- you're a lot younger than I am. So I, mine came to the door because my father was like an early participant. Uh, my father and mother. Used to love having the Playboy magazine. They belonged to the club, and it all turned into this <laughs> very funny life of mine. When, when this thing, I would t- constantly turn to the Vargas page. First oh. thing I would turn to, and my mother looked like the women that were in the magazine. And the Playboy clubs were a whole different thing because I was starting to be a young hippie, so it was kind of anti. I was a <laughs> brawless feminist. Right.
0: There was a style change for you as well. After Hefner passed, this was something my producer shared with me. So you might want <laughs> no. to tell, tell me what you mean by it.
1: i always painted women who were latex. I have painted women who were in porn, sh- strippers, uh, prostitutes, everything. I, I don't care, you know, um, uh, The girl next door is very hard as a model. They're they're just not free in front of a camera. Whereas the seasoned lady, they they give a lot more and they know how to look good in front of the camera. And they're fun. Don't forget, I also painted Betty. There was a lot of all that kinky stuff in there. And when you're drawing the nude, putting latex and any kind of bondage equipment in there or poses is so much more fascinating than just a nude. So, so I've always been painting them. So what happened? I quit my Playboy page Uh, Playboy was dying. This is before Hef that he was very generous, but I, I couldn't continue doing the work because I was dying inside doing the work. It became too much of the same thing. And I knew that it was all dying and I was going to die with it. So I left and then I didn't know where I was going to go. Oh, man, I just started doing all kinds of experimental things. And somehow, as you know, in your own business, a connection comes in somewhere and somebody connected me to sideshow collectibles. And I started drawing cat women, which are basically women in latex, you know, a stitches, latex, whips. If you really looked at half the comic book and all those superheroes, it's really a very kinky lot.
0: I agree with you. You're you're cracking up the producer to no end right now. Because she knows I'm right. (laughs) She does know you're right. Well, I mean, I think that's the way the anime uh, art is gone too, right? Isn't it like wild fantasy?
1: You know, it's a topic I'm not sure I can elaborate
0: on. (laughs) Oh, you're so... You're so polite because you're not a psychologist or what?
1: Yeah. Well, no, I just, I just know, I, I, I laugh when I see some of the covers and somebody's in uh, Wonder Woman's in bondage and somebody else's. Uh, <laughs> How can this be legal? Oh my like, God. Right. And it's so much kinkier than when they're naked. So this right. is good for me. I'm going here.
0: That's the part you like. That's the why it's more in- interesting when. So when you're drawing, are you supplying props as well, or are you drawing the props in?
1: I usually add the clothing. I need the nude because I need to know where the muscles and stuff are, and I can see if you if you have a model and she's wearing a robe or something like that, dear, when you're drawing her, you're all of a sudden missing a foot, missing a leg. She's totally covered, and you've got a great face. So I learned a long time ago this we just do the nudes, and every once in a while some of them are – come in with their outfits they're wearing corsets and and they're, they're really phenomenal with their props big wigs and stuff and they're fascinating because they turn into other creatures and that's when i go off into doing other creatures with them you know it's great to do fantasy from you know when you have a great model
0: so. somebody that might be a hybrid between a a woman and a you know like a witch or a animal or something <laughs> is that what you mean
1: Well, I mean, for example, I had a uh, I had a sketch with some head. It was in the back of my mind, very loose of a woman screaming, bent over, uh, crouching. And it became this this um, Julie Strain model for me. And I had her doing like a profile of a screaming woman. And it became one of my best well-known heavy metal covers called the banshee. And she has wings on and a banshee is a creature, that an Irish creature. I think that stands outside the window wailing that it's uh, someone is about to die. So the, the, so I have this incredible creature and this creature, the thing that the pleasure I've had in my career is that creatures like that, which she must've come out in 97, somehow go around the world and have a life of their own. I have seen that tattooed on people wear it. I see it walking around. I see it. The most amazing one was somebody in Kandahar in Afghanistan. They were looking, their Hollywood sign, I don't know, this is uh, military. Their Hollywood sign means it's what they call themselves, uh, uh, their... They were called the Banshees and they never they didn't, they didn't know what the they didn't know what the hell Banshee was. And they saw my image and they asked permission to use it. We kind of made up a Banshee sign, you know, with their with their troop number and and, and gave it to them. I mean, it just appears around the world. I've seen my work on Afghanistan um, rugs. I've seen it in Neon my signs in, in Bangkok and the you know red light districts, all kinds of things. And a Romanian film I remember the hooker in her bedroom had my artwork over her bed. I mean it shows up. They have lives, they move around.
0: It's a tribute to how uh identifiable it is as well, meaning that it's not your work is not generic in any way. It's very specific. Nowadays legal people could get you paid for those Uh, Paintings in the background of a movie that are yours because that's your intellectual property. Obviously, I was fascinated to find out that this was all work painted by a woman because it's almost kind of like a male fantasy to be a photographer a Playboy.
1: Um, as you see up there there's pictures of the, my predecessors uh, elfgren and and I sometimes and Vargas and I sometimes think that what made them so fascinating is that they're women and then there is the male head you know thinking about what they're doing so there's a strange combination the male female so when I worked with half heff would do the captions which I didn't know that would happen and I would do the drawings. so my intent on the drawings was was very different than when Hef would come by and put a slap a, a caption on it and sometimes it would really collide it was really a riot and sometimes really tragic <laughs> that's that so I,
0: what would be an example of something that was said under one where you couldn't believe it
1: oh, I had a nurse Betty I remember that and he came up with an enema line and I was like <laughs> oh no <laughs> So when I'm painting these women, it was important to me when I started that these women were in charge of their own sexuality. So I understand that it may not be politically correct, the kind of art that I'm doing. You know, it's it's very old school art. It's steeped in, you know, from the old days where where women were more docile. But these are, for me, an aggressive, a sexually aggressive type of woman who knows what she wants. And just like the Dietrich, you know, would you fuck around with Dietrich? I mean, she looked like she, <laughs> she handled herself really well back then. I love those type of women. And those women are what I paint, even if they're in dress like little bunnies.
0: Sure. And I would say that you were probably on the forefront of that relaxation. Like w- women today do own their power a bit more. there more outspoken with each other. It's not such a taboo thing to want sex or like sex or wear clothes a certain way. I think, you know, terrible reports at offices and stuff. I feel like that there's a, a general lack of respect for that. Why Why should men be able to have that feeling and women shouldn't? I think they should be able to feel it and they should be able to say yes and no when they want to say yes and no, right? There should be a mutual respect for that.
1: Well, that is exactly what I was brought up with in my teens. The 60s, you couldn't even get birth control. And if you were not supposed to want sex, it was very unladylike to be that way. It was, And then on top of that, it was Catholic. Hello? Yeah. <laughs> like you. And well, that certainly didn't what, you know, I left that religion very early.
0: I like can you. understand why. I'm not... I'm not defending them any more than I'm defending men or
1: anybody else. No, no. So, so I came from that. So when I started working in the sex magazines and I was working, I'd say I I was 25 at the time. I was really angry. (laughs) I was an angry woman about all the injustices that happened to me when, in my teen years where every dating, every date seemed like it was, it was a wrestling match. By the time you you finally know, aha! I know where it all does. You can't find anybody to do it with. So, I mean, you know, it's 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 tragic. Joke our sex lives.
0: Well, here's what I always thought would be fascinating: if there was a way to see the sensuality and sexuality of a woman's mind as easily as her cleavage, because it's really, to me, the mind is the most intriguing thing for the longest relationship with somebody else. Yeah.
1: All in the eyes. It's all in the face. Yeah. Right. It, it's behind. It's the brain. The brain, yeah. it, right? But there are so many men that that, and so many more men now that 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 feel that way
0: than than there used to be. I think that a lot of education needs to be done on that, not just about being gentlemen, but just about mutual respect.
1: Sexuality in general it is changing. Everything's changing. I see things. I see when I'm in the art world now. I see so many. Women now, so many female artists, which was pretty rare back in the 70s. And I see them come in. I, I see a lot of unjust, injustices, but still, it's happening. It's, you know, change happens slowly. Are you mentoring other artists? I have a lot of uh, friends who are uh, female artists and male, but I support them. I'm, you know, I just... I want to make sure that they know they're loved and they should, I mean, I just support them on online, you know, that the ladies should be supporting each other. Anytime I'm looking at somebody else's work and thinking any competition, it's when I'm feeling down about myself, Mm. it shows that I'm in a bad place. When I'm feeling confident about myself, you know, you work, you're satisfied with your place. So when I'm, well, you know, when I'm around the girls, I think in a lot of their contemporaries aren't as, you know, they're just not very generous with their, <clears throat> their friendship and their art tricks or whatever. I'm putting mine out there pretty much now. Anybody can take them from, from what they learn on my works in progress, little films. And, you know, I wouldn't have done that 20 years ago. I would have been
0: more guarded. You're running a good race where it, the pie is plenty big enough for everybody, but- That's not how most people behave. They are definitely in a place of either trying to get the work or to angle to compete or to top somebody or to get some attention. But you must feel the love when you're at a Comic-Con or a convention.
1: Wonderful. I get love. You know, it's, it's taken decades, but I've been getting from my shows on. It's it's been really I've been
0: really lucky. Well, you're not lucky. You worked hard and the there's a legacy in your work. I just, when I went onto the website last night, and I believe, is it Olivia pinup Art?
1: Use pinup Art because if you use erotica, if you get into anything like that, then you all of a sudden get thrown to the back of the store. The website is eolivia.com.
0: Oh, damn. eolivia.com. Eolivia,
1: because we couldn't afford to buy olivia.com. Lesbian Cruise Lines owns that.
0: <laughs> okay, that's nice to know. So we'll give them a little plug in case anybody wants to take a lesbian cruise. <laughs> That's right. Um, well, the, but when I went there, I saw that you were having an art auction of sorts. And, and I thought, well, this is really interesting to see the various eras of your work and the impact it's had in different places. And so, you know, yes, there's some luck in the idea of how things go viral and so forth. But there's no luck in the craft, in the work, in putting in the process. Um, we are often lucky in terms of strides when we when we're productive and when we're not, you know, sometimes when we let other things get in our way or we, our feelings aren't there, I I think all artists struggle with that.
1: You're going to do with that. You got to live life somewhat. Yeah. Do you, do you actually get to enjoy life and go out places? Cause I don't.
0: Okay. Well, let me encourage you to do it. I was reading a book recently called dare to sketch. It's brand new thing that I just got. But it talked about sketching in live places, sitting down outside, doing some architecture, doing just whatever, whatever style you want, and and really not caring. What I liked about it is that it puts you in an observational mode. Instead of chasing your email in your inbox and racing to accomplish what others ask of you, it puts you in an observing moment, which is really, as an artist, how you began when your parents put you in the corner with a sketch pad, my dad was an engineer, a uh, structural engineer. I think your dad aer- aeronautical, right?
1: Aeronautical engineer. So he'd come home with a bunch of paper and pencils a- from
0: always his- oh, thorough right? Huge pile of papers, which had weird stuff on one side and blank on the other. And he would, that, that was our scratch paper. We didn't know what we, we, there could have been a formula for some, you know. Yeah.
1: Einstein.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But we didn't care. All we do is we draw crazy faces. We draw mazes. We would, you know, and we would just tear through this pile of paper. And my dad would come home with a big old pile of paper the next day with numbers. (laughs) And I think he was working in pneumatics, the tube at the bank that comes out when you put your money in and you go push it in and it goes to the bank, come back. He was working in those pneumatic tubing and he would bring home some of those tubes which is what we kept our money in. That was our piggy bank. But at that time, those plastic tubes were made of some weird polyurethane that smelled like barf. So all of oh. our money smelled like barf. When we were kids, we would <laughs> have a handful of barf change and go to the store and buy candy.
1: <laughs> oh, God, the this, this smell of candy with some barf made money. I, I watched a lot of you last night. I saw your candy thing that you showed uh,
0: Seinfeld. Oh, the free candy yeah, movie yeah, trailer. Yeah. It
1: because it was very
0: true what Halloween used to be like. Halloween to me was as a kid greater than Christmas. Christmas was okay, but Halloween allowed you to dress up. It, and this was before parents went with you. So you yeah. it was pell mell. You would run through the neighborhood with a reckless abandon. And That's right. you could, midnight when you came home with a full pillowcase full of stuff. And sorted it out. And then you had a candy bank and you traded with everybody else to get rid of your crap candy. Like there was a whole ritual. And then how do you keep that candy alive till Easter, essentially, which is the next big free candy day? There were certain things you eat, you ate along the way. You needed the plastic bottles you needed where you your would. Yes, yeah. Right. Make, Mixy make sticks. Those little <laughs> dots on the white paper.
1: Oh, those miss those. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yes. Did you have a favorite growing up?
1: Uh, I'm afraid it's just not very fun. It was candy corn, probably, and and chocolates, and and Three Musketeers. them you know, I
0: put you as a, a wax lips girl. I don't know why that is.
1: Everybody, but I didn't eat those. In fact, oh, you- I had wax lips in my in my kitchen when the models would walk through. They'd be on a plate because they look so compelling. Those every once in a while, one would try it on. We'd have a photograph of her with the big wax lips on.
0: Well, Joel, Joel, and you also started a card company at one time. Am I right?
1: It was Joel's idea. Cards were very in vogue in New York City in the around seventy seven, and so we did very racy cards. We put out seven, and, and he thought it'd be a good start. Joel's Joel's the business side. Uh, he's really my partner. He's everything. You know, we know what we do, but it's all possible because we both work together as a unit.
0: It's interesting when somebody is living in conjunction with an artist. Does he give you the breathing room to draw when you need to draw? Does he? How does he support your? I don't have
1: anything else to do. All I do is draw. All I do is paint. <laughs> it's not very interesting. I don't go anywhere because I. And Joel is always on the business side and me. Say every once in a while he comes down to critique. I throw something at him and then uh, then he leaves. Yeah, I mean. We've been through all kinds of stages in the marriage and and the artwork. But one thing we know is that we've had a real fun life because of it. I think it's also hard to find a man that isn't threatened by what you do, you know, by having a successful wife. And he is very proud of me. He's wonderful. I just feel very lucky because I think a lot of people have problems with their spouses if they become too successful, if they're the woman.
0: I wish more men could see clearer that the two stronger pillars is better for the structure. Everybody having their own power is much better. I've always wanted partners that could express themselves, that had confidence in what they were doing. Not always finding it, of course, but... Must be tough, yeah. Well, no, it's, it's tricky because I think society creates complications for it. And you mentioned earlier in the very beginning, when you talked about uh, the, the drawing your mom as a model, I guess, at, early on, but the Barbie, the conceit of the Barbie doll itself was created by a woman who thought that girls didn't want only to be a mommy, right? They didn't want, everything was a baby doll in the arms and that sort of a thing that you gave a bottle to, but they wanted to look at themselves as grown up. So at, Five or six years old, they could play as they were an adult at the time.
1: Where they made this build a uh, build a lily, and it was a doll sort of a men would buy for the, it was a kind of a sex doll.
0: Oh, and it was yeah. <laughs> Look no, at no, no, but keep 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 sharing.
1: And so the woman who created Barbie took her, fashioned her after that an adult doll, and then it shot off from there. I know I wanted one the minute I saw it, but I was like nine or 10 years old by the time it came out. I was already drawing one of them. You want to, yeah, you want to emulate your mother who's dressing in heels and in satin uh, costumes and such. You'd have to Google uh, Build-A-Lily from okay. Germany as the inspiration for Barbie. It's, it's fascinating where things come from.
0: Sure. I also think that the, the in-society Prior to the a big change, the toy industry made toys and games for girls, which were easy bake oven, an ironing board. Everything was I had those. I know that's what I'm saying. You didn't boys would get this, they would get a gun, they would have an adventure, they would have a spy kit, they would have something. And girls would be playing mystery date, a thing where you got to date men. But it was exactly it wasn't at all releasing their power. It, it was like a, a board game, like Careers.
1: Yeah, based on your mom, though. I mean, you know, my mom was like a, a, a Rosie the Riveter. She was drilling bolts into into airplanes, and she was a whack. And she didn't want to sit home and raise a child. I was given I was given the ironing board and the and the kitchen set, and I was playing piano, because when when I was, she was looking ahead. So when I was an adult, when I could give lessons while I was pregnant, raising my family at 10, I mean, she had aspirations for me to, to become something, but she didn't really believe it was possible, I think, because it was so hard in her life. By the time I said goodbye to her, I felt crushed that she had so much talent and so much ambition and that generation just didn't get it. So that made me still, I mean, I'm just, you know, it just made me infuriated. There was a lot of anger at watching what happened to her and it's in my paintings. She's in my paintings too.
0: I believe that. And I think that her legacy giving you the gift of being a strong woman in your life allowed you, you got liberated a lot more than other people at that point. I would think.
1: Yes, in some ways, and she also used to run around the house naked. She was she had a huge family, and they used to they 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 were from Chino at the time. They used to run. They had no mother, and they used to run around the, the house, all brothers and sisters naked all the time. <laughs> so. When I was uh, being raised, there was my mother naked. My father and I were genetically—I don't know what happens—but we clung on to our clothes like we would take the bed sheets with us. We was like we we can't be without skin, you know, clothing.
0: <laughs> That's really really fun. It is fun. <laughs> it is. It's really really kind of I don't know. It's just an amazing thing to have a a memory like that that you're able to share. Now I I, I know that you're. Work has been licensed for so many kinds of things. What's the most unusual place that you've licensed a, a piece of work for? Some kind of a product or some kind of a...
1: I don't know. I was just looking at it. It's not unusual. Uh, Bob Dylan, a uh, manager, called us up and put my uh, painting of mine in his Christmas album. <laughs> he told me when I was a kid I'd wind up on a Bob Dylan album. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> snowboard. My husband tried to get me to do car fresheners, but I really fought him on that one. There's so many things it winds up on. There's too many. We started our own um, um, marijuana, it was a rolling paper company for a while, but it didn't go anywhere because we never really, it was too early. But And we made my mother the figurehead of it because she was (laughs) eating a lot of marijuana at, at the last decade of her life so in, we, in brownie form i fed my mother once and then we walked in that we about 15 minutes later she looked like she was in a wind tunnel she's just like you know, oh. mouth open oh my god
0: well she <laughs> gave you fun all the way to the end it sounds like
1: <laughs> she did she did
0: Listen, this has been a terrific conversation. I'm so intrigued by you. I'm happy to go back and I want to explore more of your art. But one thing I do want to draw to attention, as unique as you are, I find your signature at the bottom of your work really, really unique. The big spiral O that is Olivia. When did you begin doing that from the get go or did you discover it just along the way?
1: No, I, was during, I mean, there is even mention of my first book. It showed all the different signatures. I think I was kind of searching for myself. And finally, I found a really pretentious one, <laughs> big, big, you know, and, and what's fun about it is that people get excited by it. It's really showmanship. And if you look on my Instagram, there's a couple where I just sit and I sign like about 10 or 20 of them and and you can see me signing them and people get really excited to see (laughs) big swoopy O. So it's really showmanship. Maybe 20 years ago, I started doing that.
0: Well, it's as unique and beautiful as you are. Thank you for investing some time today and just opening up to this. Thank you. It was great. Thanks, Olivia.
1: Thank you. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening. Take a moment to subscribe and you will always have an invitation to join us for more creative conversations that offer a spark of inspiration. Our show is produced by Sweetwood Creative under WizBang producer Amanda Rosenberg with editing by soundsmith Casey Franco. Our original music theme was written and sung by Maya Sharp. Please feel free to reach out with your input or to share a review through social media on Instagram at Pat Hazel with two L's or visit our website at CreativityandCaptivity.fun. That's right, it's dot fun because dot com is not fun. Cheers.